Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Hi, everyone. Today we have a special guest. We have Stephen Seacon with Stephen Seacon Architects. He is a local architect here in Dobbs Ferry, and he works throughout the city and throughout Westchester. And I can't wait to ask him some questions because so often people confuse the role of an architect versus an interior designer. And people call me saying, you know, can you do this so-and-so task that is obviously a task I need to refer them to an architect or vice versa, I'm sure. I'm sure they're asking architects a lot of design questions that maybe you feel equipped to answer, but maybe you'd rather have someone else answer. So it's just an interesting crossover. And I would love to hear more about what you do and ask you some questions that have come from our listeners. Sounds good, Betsy. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So tell us more about your firm in particular and a little bit about you. Uh, we're a small firm. We're, uh, you know, four people and we have offices, you know, fairly close to you uh, on the shores of uh, Hudson River. And we do a, a multitude of jobs, you know, about right now half is residential and half is commercial. Uh, this is our 17th year and, you know, things are looking strong. So, um, you know, outlook's good. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's great. And so in terms of commercial versus residential, which one is easier? Uh, com commercial is easier um, in, in terms of less hand-holding, but it is usually technically harder because the codes are a little bit more restrictive and usually technically there's some things that are more challenging than residential. That's interesting because we do both commercial and residential, even though we do 80% residential, 20% commercial. And I would say the commercial is a lot easier just because they're very motivated to complete it, whereas our homeowners are willing to do things over time, you know, and they want, kind of want to spend as they go. But our commercial clients are just like, I want to say yes. I want to pull the trigger. I have this opening deadline. And uh, so they'll be willing to really sprint to the finish with you. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, to piggyback on that, you know, typically commercial client will have, you know, leases or some obligations that are, are time sensitive. So the pressure's on usually to get the drawings into the building department, get the thing built and occupy. You know, and lots of times, you know, there's uh, deadlines, you know, that are centered around, you know, perhaps a holiday season for a store that needs to sell, you know, and sometimes there's deadlines the other way that, you know, they have very few potential patrons, you know, in the midsummer. So, you know, it, it works both ways. Um, but typically, just like you're saying, residential, sometimes people who are out of their house and are paying for additional rent, they'll be more motivated to make decisions a little bit quicker than somebody who's, you know, able to occupy the house and, you know, string things along. So it's uh, challenging sometimes on that frontier. Right, right. And uh, so just something that came up as you were talking, do you have a busy season? Not so much, not so much. I mean, you know, the the way it works typically is, that, you know, our, our services are needed, you know, before somebody builds. And, you know, with the municipal approvals and the design process, a lot of times that can be, you know, three months to a year before, you know, someone actually gets like a shovel in the ground. Interesting. Okay, well, now we'll, now we'll segue back to my questions. <laughs> uh, so in terms of the main question I get asked as a designer, people are always calling me and they're saying, what task belongs to you? What task belongs to the architect? So when should you hire a designer and when should you hire an architect? Do you have just a general rule of thumb? Um, I could speak generally. <laughs> you know, in, in this area, um, for example, a project that involves adding additional space to a building or moving around load-bearing walls, that requires a licensed architect or engineer. Um, the license is really just a reflection of a certain amount of education, practice, and you know, passing an exam. It's not to say that other people can't do it or aren't qualified to do it. It's just that municipalities abide by a certain set of regulations, and that's usually the threshold. So, for example, if you are doing some built-ins and window treatments for your living room, an interior designer would be more appropriate than an architect. But what about moving like a non-load-bearing wall? Well, it also depends on who diagnoses what's load-bearing and not. Um, you know, the evaluation sometimes is a little tricky because a lot of times uh, the diagnosis and evaluation of what's load-bearing and not is not so simple. Uh, sometimes it is very straightforward. You, you, know, you have basements with exposed joists, or you can poke a little hole in the ceiling and see which way the framing is running, and you can determine that way. Uh, but some things are, are pretty well concealed and, you know, over a number of years, additions and modifications transfer loads and, and you have to be careful and, you know, mindful, um, you know, those kind of things. It's also kind of important to remember that uh, some of these regulations differ from state to state. So there, there's really not a universal, uh, you know, mandate. Mm -hmm. So my advice, you know, is for, you know, any owner, building owner, homeowner, is to check with the local building department for the type of professional that's needed or not needed uh, for the kind of work that they're exploring. Got it. So going to your town, where is that, like City Hall? Yeah, many building departments are, are in City Halls. Okay. Um, you know, 
now it's very easy to just you know go on the web and see uh, you know how you interact. Sometimes you could just you know shoot a you know a quick question uh, you know on a municipal board and, and get a quick answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the building departments also have. Uh, a page of frequently asked questions, you know, oh, that, okay. that probably dovetails yeah. into that. And I think there's also some crossover confusion between a contractor and an architect. Yes, I mean, if you take that Venn diagram, mm-hmm. you know, we we all overlap in certain places and not in others. Um, a contractor is, is typically a, the builder. I mean, he is the or she is the one who, who builds the, the project or repairs the project. And uh, again, they, they are supposed to be licensed. In most states, in most municipalities, they have to be licensed. And the part of the licensing is actually their understanding of when professionals are needed or not needed for certain kinds of projects. So, uh, you know, to ask specifically, so, you know, a contractor is somebody who, you know, can build a building um, and they know when permits and design professionals are, are needed or not. And again, it differs because some municipalities and states, they'll allow a contractor to build even without drawings. For inst- right, because I see a lot of in, in my work, some people try and circumvent both the cost <laughs> of a designer and of an architect by just going right to the contractor and not only relying on the contractor for the structural information, but also for the design elements. And I think you're kind of getting, um, this is a family podcast, but kind of a half-assed project. I see so many projects where the contractor kind of led every element and it looks okay, but it's detrimental for resale. It doesn't have a nice look or something was compromised or it wasn't thought all the way through. So so what's your opinion of sort of taking that middle road of just a contractor? Well, you know, some contractors, you know, do have a great aesthetic sense and design sense and have the experience and knowledge to, you know, to pull it off, but many don't. And you know, to your point about, you know, value, um, what's also important to realize is that when you avoid getting a permit and doing things in the right order, you jeopardize a lot of times what has been done because it can, it can have to be ripped out. Sometimes a building inspector can be notified by a nosy neighbor or a supplier who didn't get paid promptly. So it's usually advisable, you know, to Again, make sure the person who's building is licensed and also to make sure that you ask, you know, for their references and ask for their licenses and, you know, make sure <laughs> that, you know, they've done similar projects and that you can see some evidence that what you're getting is what you're expecting. Right. Right. Uh, and so in terms of preparing to work with your architect. What do you need to have ready in advance? For instance, for my design clients, I have them fill out a questionnaire that asks them store preferences, color preferences, challenges. So do you have any sort of thing they need to fill out in advance or is it just a preliminary meeting? I I, I do have a list of questions, you know, and, you know, we freelance from that. Sometimes they're pertinent, sometimes not. But yeah, I I try to get a very clear understanding of their objectives and expectations. And, you know, ones that aren't consistent with reality, you know, I I try to diplomatically, uh, you know, keep them in check. Um, You know, but I'd say, you know, as far as being prepared, 
it's good for you to have uh, you meaning the you know the prospect uh, to have a, a clear understanding of what it is you expect uh, as a result. Are you expecting you know a two-story addition in the rear of your house that has a family room of a certain size and a master bedroom upstairs of a certain size, a certain quality? You know, and I think it's very helpful. You know, many customers come to me with you know, Pinterest boards and clippings from magazines and, uh, you know, all kind of different sources of information, things that they like and equally things that they don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, you know, once the meter's running, we all want to pull on the same end of the rope, you know, to get to a decision and a solution, you know, quickly. So it sounds like you like those Pinterest images and the other images. Yeah, within reason. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes if someone says, I need exactly this, you know, with the exact same color, you know, it's a little bit of a buzzkill, you know, because, you know, you want a little creativity on our end, uh, too. But, you know, there's sometimes people really do know what they want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's up to the design professional to either say, I can, you know, work with that or, yeah, no, you know, maybe you want to meet somebody else and recommend a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I find the inspiration images to be critical. Uh, We insist upon them. And sometimes I literally translate them, especially if I know I've got a client who knows exactly what they want. Well, I will literally translate that vision. And I don't feel creatively compromised at all because it's hard enough for me to find things that meet their price point that Mm -hmm. match the image. So I already feel like I have a challenge. But the one thing I really loathe, the one thing I cannot work with, are people who send me images of only things they don't like. Mm. Because I do have people who have a Pinterest folder of like things I hate <laughs> and sharing that Pinterest folder is completely not helpful for me. I don't know if it's different for you. No, it, it, sometimes, you know, I feel like, you know, you need bumpers on the bowling lane, you know, to stop you from getting too far on one side or another. Um, but it, it, the same thing, if you're, if you're getting roadblocks on at every turn, then it gets very hard, you know, to, to move something ahead. Um, but, you know, our se- design sequence is probably much like, you know, yours, where you go from the most general to the most specific, you know. So uh, there's there's usually time, you know, to hone in on, you know, certain design decisions as you go along. So what questions, you mentioned that you asked the client some questions. What questions are your favorites to ask, are the most important questions on your questionnaire, just say? Of a client, well, you know some of the you know, the elephant in the room, of course, is you know budget and schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because a lot of times people are you know shocked you know by the, the prices that construction costs, and you know some of the times uh, you know I, th- I think HGTV has you know <laughs> a, a place. But a lot of times they're watching, uh, you know, a project that's being built in Plano, Texas, or you know, middle of Iowa, and it has no bearing on you know the north northeast kind of construction costs. So, you know, if someone says, you know, I have a budget of this, and I know it's you know feasible because I watched this episode, I said, well, tell me a little bit about what it is you're trying to accomplish in the budget that you're allocating. You know, not that I have, you know, magical powers of knowing what something will cost, but I have a sense after right. doing it for 25 years, you know, that, you know, something ranges in this, between this and that. And, you know, if a customer 
you know, isn't forthcoming, uh, that's a red flag, you know, that... If they won't share their budget with they, you? Yeah. You know, so that's a... Fa- that's a, a but so many times, do you get this? Okay. I get this every <laughs> single day, at least three times a day. I don't know what my budget is. Or I don't have a budget. You have to tell me how much I should be spending. Do you get that? Sure. I get that all the time. How do you solve it? I'll tell you how I solve it. Well, I'll... I'll Give them uh, a range of projects and what they cost. You know, I'll, I'll say, for instance, you know, for a residential person who's asking a similar question phrase, like you say, um, well, we've, we recently did, you know, uh, a two-story uh, addition in the back of a house in Rye of medium quality. It was $380,000, you know, and it contained X and Y. Or, you know, we recently remodeled a, a kitchen, you know, for somebody in Larchmont. It was $65,000, and it was basically, you know, 120 square feet. It had, you know, this kind of vibe for cabinets and some new appliances. And, you know, we're doing, you know, uh, a restaurant that's, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. It's about this many square feet. You know, and, like, I, I try to splash a little reality of, of something you know, relevant to them, so they have a little bit of a, a field of, you know, where things cost. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so much of the cost really derives of what you can do and what you can't do. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, the the way I get to it is I, um, I mean, it's a different process, right? Uh-huh. And it's a different product. But I say, what's the top number that you would be very uncomfortable if we exceeded? That mm-hmm. you'd say, absolutely no, never. You know, in our line of work here at this firm, even though it's not every firm, we don't take commission off of their items. So we don't personally have any investment in how much they spend. But if they don't give us that top number, then, you know, we might be recommending things for them that are really just not where they want to be, like IKEA cabinets versus custom cabinets or things like that. So I just really need to know that top number. And it tells me a lot that I need to know. But in your line of work, that top number gets much higher than in ours, right? For this firm, that top number is max 50K. Mm-hmm. And so there's less variance. Right. But you're knocking out lots of lots of jobs. You know, we yes. you know, we don't get the the quantity that you Well, and we don't your... get paid the 50K. The 50K <laughs> is what they want to spend on of furniture. Course, yeah, we just do these flat rate packages. And we're not indicative of a normal design firm. But just to kind of show, you know, for a client talking about 7000 to 50000 they can kind of find their spot more easily than, right. say, an architect where it could be, you know, 35000 to add infinium. Yeah, especially here in Westchester. We're one of the most expensive counties in the whole nation. And this podcast is, of course, listened to internationally. But uh, I think that was really interesting what you said about putting in context. Because even if the timelines could be the same, and out here it seems like the contractors are super overworked and just not available. Am I the only one who sees that? (laughs) (laughs) I have some personal projects, Steve. The good good ones are busy. Yeah. You know, and they... Literally, they have the ability to pick and choose. And, you know, there's sometimes when I nudge uh, some of the contractors, I say, how come you don't have like a website to, and, you know, they just kind of look, I don't have to. Right. You know, they're just, they got people lined up. That must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's time for a quick commercial break. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. 
for years you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. So in terms of the speeding up of the process, because you mentioned it could take three months to a year just to get permits. But what can a homeowner do to prepare their project so it can go faster and more smoothly on your end? Um, typically, if they're organized and you know if they're decisive, you know, part of getting you know what you want in a kind of timely manner means that you know you're a good decision maker. You get all the information in front of you and you analyze it and evaluate it. You talk to people who've been through it before. You're not afraid to ask questions. And those are the people who typically help themselves because you know they've gathered the, you know, the information on the fixtures and finishes or lighting or things that you know they want in the job. Uh, the people you know who or like you were describing before, who are sort of floating and asking for your feedback on what should... It, it's sometimes hard, you know, to get them to focus on... I think really what helps, um, and I know it sounds a little bit artificial, is, is to have milestones and deadlines, you know, early in the project. You know, even that if That the client sets or that you set? That you mutually set. Oh, okay. You okay. know, um, obviously, because, you know... As the the professional, you know how long these things take. Right. So, you know, it doesn't happen in HGTV time because that's, you know, down to half an hour. Right. Right. But, you know, they always seem to get, you know, these complicated jobs done in three weeks where, you know, I've never had that happen. Right. You know, so I think if you mutually put together uh, a little bit of a framework and deadlines, then you kind of hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I feel the fire if I'm, you know, bogged down on other projects and it's like, oh, my God, I got to get this done. And they also feel a little bit like, you know, they're dropping the ball if they don't give me a decision by, you know, Friday, like you promised last week. You know, so I think it's important, you know, to, to work, you know, in tandem, you know, to get the job done. Got it. Yeah. And I think for me, it goes back to expectations and agreements. Like, I expect this, and we've agreed upon this, and that agreement component allows you to have that accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's important, you know, that y- you, in effect, are, are a team with your client, you know, because you're mutually trying to end at a certain result. And you, 
you know, as any team, you know, you, you, you have to work together. And you you know, it's so funny because I wouldn't have thought of it as a team. I mean, I don't even think of it as a team what I do with my clients. Oh, okay. But I think that's interesting. I think it's a better way to think about it because I think of me as sort of the contractor or independent contractor in this case, not building contractor, mm -hmm. that they have hired to do a job. So I'm thinking of job fulfillment. But I think the team aspect is more interesting. Yeah, I, th I think it, it is also like a way you know like if both people are kind of accountable and you know you 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 work at a team the collaboration like makes the customer client whatever you want to call them you know feel like more part of the process you know there are and you know look there are many different kinds uh you know i'm sure you know you can tell me if i'm if i'm off step here but you know some are really engaged and participate and some are a little aloof and standoffish and typically the projects that work better are the people who are engaged and you you work and they tell you what they like, they don't like. But there's some who are just sort of like, oh, I'm too busy. You know, I can't, I can't deal with it. I, right. Uh, and, you know, they're the ones who sometimes get blindsided at the end because, you know, they have distanced themselves from decision making. Right, right. They maybe outsourced so much or didn't respond so frequently that they haven't been in touch with the progress. But I would think that that's kind of a good client to have too, because there is sort of that other side where they're too involved, mm -hmm. or you know. But it's it sounds <laughs> it sounds like you're more into the too involved client. Um, within reason, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there are ones you know who call ten thirty at night about you know yes. the, the doorknob. Do you pick up? Do you pick up at ten thirty? No. Okay. Just checking. Do you, how about you? Um, I had a billionaire client oh. once, a celebrity billionaire, and I would pick up at like four in the morning. He would regularly text me at two in the morning, four in the morning. I mean, of course, waking me up. I'm not just awake sitting by the phone for these things. Uh, and I think that that was a problem. I think that, you know, then I, I signaled that that was allowed. So it's very funny because I stay up late. I mean, this is just a secret for my podcast listeners. You don't have to tell my clients, right? <laughs> but I get my best work done very late. So my prime work hours are 10 to 2, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Wow. That's when I get like my good stuff going because nobody's bothering me. You know, my kids are asleep. My husband's watching his shows and I can just dive in. But I use this plugin on Google called um, Boomerang. Do you know it? No. And you can set your emails to go out at a specific time. So I'll write the emails at 2 a.m., but I'll set them to go out at 7 a.m. Uh -huh. So it looks like I'm a perfectly normal person. Right, right. But before Boomerang, I mean, I would try and get this work done. So I would send the emails out at 2 a.m. and people would be online. They'd be writing me back. It would turn into a chat. They would know that I'm available. And they don't have that expectation when you're writing during a normal business hour. They're like, oh, she must be busy on the phone. So Boomerang is a freaking lifesaver. And I can time it to go out even on a different day. Mm, that sounds handy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a free plugin on Google. You okay. must get it. And I wish they had it for texts on my phone because so often I want to text people at like midnight, but I don't want them to know I'm available to text at midnight or I don't want to wake them up, of course. Right. Billionaires <laughs> don't care about that, but I care. I don't want to wake you up, clients. So it's just a funny thing, but um, creating those boundaries because in my line of work, and it sounds like in some of your projects, the people are living there. So every time they turn the corner, they see that cabinet they hated, 
right? And it's just bugging them and they have to know now. So every time my client turns the corner and they see that pillow that, you know, has the pattern they don't really like, it's just driving them crazy and they have to tell me right now. Right. Well, um, you know, we're, we're in, the, in this world of instant everything, you know, and the ability for people to, what do they call it, delay gratification or, you know, have a little bit of distance, you know, between making a decision that, you know, it, it's gone. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of times we regret making such hasty decisions because we don't have an opportunity to reflect. And, you know, this is, you know, I, under, I understand that, you know, in technology is kind of, you know, it fueled this quick decision making. But I think, you know, a lot of times what the technology doesn't do is, you know, give us, you know, the opportunity to, to look, evaluate, kick back, consider different things. And I think, you know, what it's led in, in, in at least my office is is more changes, more revisions. Oh, interesting. Than, than there used to be. So being able to communicate so quickly has yeah. led to more indecision or... More, well, more, yeah, more quick decisions without the proper reflection. So then they change their mind or yes, they've had yes. more time to think. Right. And those, mm -hmm. those revisions and re-engineering, of course, take more time and more money. Yeah. Um, you know, so everybody's like super eager, you know, to get the permit and get building. But, you know, a lot of times that gestation period that lacks is sorely missed you know that's interesting because you do hear this rush to get the permits and this very upset you know voice in terms of in my end where i just hear people saying we've been waiting for the documents we've been waiting for this i never really thought about an upside mm. especially because in my business we work very quickly right so one last question for you steve and then feel free to ask me questions or just open it up to whatever you want to speak about but uh you know listeners of this podcast are design enthusiasts some of them are even interior designers like debbie who stopped in today she stopped into our storefront from phoenix i love meeting fans and that was so cool but um what do you want them to know about your profession they know a lot about design from me uh but tell tell me what you want them to know about architects, architecture, what's vital to know? That the, the process really mixes a lot of factors, um, you know, from aesthetic and technical considerations to practical utility and use, and building codes, and budgets. I mean, these are all factors that, you know, play into making a successful project. And that there are, in fact, you know, many compromises and decisions that, that happen along the way. And you know, I would just urge, you know, any, you know, body who's, you know, contemplating building um, is to stay engaged, um, you know, not hover over, don't, you know, helicopter mom the project. Even though I think Steve likes a little helicopter, I think so. He didn't seem too adverse. <laughs> but, you know, to stay engaged, you know, don't, don't over delegate and remain inaccessible because, you know, you, you can just potentially make yourself vulnerable to, uh, you know, some, some blindsided kind of factors that you would have had an opportunity to uh, address, you know, if you were engaged and on top of things. Well, and one other question that came to mind as you were talking. So some of my clients just want a drawing and then they'll work with their own contractor, but some of them want a full-scale managed project. So my listeners, or certainly my clients, are more of that affordable price point. So what's the most affordable one could expect for like a drawing, say they wanted to add in a bathroom, or say they wanted to slightly increase the size of their kitchen, like these are the two 
requests that I get a lot when people call me. So what what should one expect to pay for that plan? Well, it's going to vary, you know, because every architect, you know, has different rates, different overhead, and, you know, basically they'll charge whatever, you know, they think they should charge. Um, You know, for instance, if if someone, you know, comes to me over the phone and asks for a price, all I can really tell them is that, you know, I, I charge X amount per hour for myself and X amount per hour for my associates and draftsmen. And... Jobs like yours tend to run in the range of, you know, mm-hmm. two thousand to five thousand to ten thousand, depending on what's involved. Uh, you know, some jobs are super simple and quick, and others, you know, are, when you get there, they didn't tell you that the bathroom really was, you know, three hundred square feet and right. has, you know, multiple, you know, <laughs> fixtures that you know you've never seen before. Um, you know, so it's it's. Yeah, I'm not trying to be coy or dodge a question, but it's it's very hard, you know, to assign a certain number um, because the complexity is so different from job to job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I did want a number. You want a number? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, I did. okay. So let's say if someone someone wants to do, I'm just going to say very middle of the line bathroom renovation. They don't want you to execute it; just do the plan. Just do the plan, and you know the plan. Typically, the building department doesn't just want a plan of the bathroom. They want a plan of the floor. To see the pipes and see, things? They want to see it in context. Ah. So that means you're drawing the floor. Oh, fl- the whole floor of They that. draw the floor. Oh. So, so a lot of times if I take a small job and it, you know, I end up you know, measuring the rest of the floor, you know, the customer's like, wait, why are you doing that? And the thing is that the building department won't look at your sketch of the ah. actual. They need the floor. So you spend more time, you know, somewhat needlessly. Totally. Um, but when you start to move pipes and you start doing that, um, that's when it usually triggers, you know. That, when I think, you, you know, as a designer, you look at that holistically. So I, I don't think it's totally crazy to look at the whole floor because right. certainly I would Im- think about the impact of that larger bathroom on then the guest room beside it and then the hallway and then the, you know, so it does compound itself, but that's very interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. But uh, I mean, so to answer your, go back to your, I was your like, numer- you still didn't give us a number, uh, no. Steve. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I could tell you, I, I've done a lot of bathrooms sort of fall into that, you know, 40 to 80 square feet range, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. s- simple and, you know, and moving things around stuff, it can go anywhere from like $1,500 to like $3,500. Okay, there we um, go. Guys, we got a number. We got a number. <laughs> oh, you're evil, Betsy. <laughs> no, no, but you know, I am all about the bottom line. Yes. Uh, with everything. Yes. That's really what fuels me. And it's what my clients are asking me on the phone. Right. Okay, so I have to get an architect involved. What part of my budget is that? And of course, it's always deducted from the design budget, right? Okay, so I had to spend extra on that. So now I need less in terms of fixtures. So these kinds of things, but it helps to get that holistic snapshot. Sure. Um, So that was helpful. So thank you. I know it was like pulling teeth, but thank you. And it was also really fun because I learned about you on a podcast. That's right. I didn't, I was going to mention that at the top of the show, but yes, you can tell our listeners a little bit. Um, was it Entree Leadership? Or uh, no, was it was Open for Business. Open for Business. Right. By Gimlet. And yes. I was on there, I guess, a year ago exactly. I recorded it a year ago exactly. And so you heard the episode recently. Right. And, and I, I was sort of dumbfounded and said, 
you know, this is Betsy Hellman from, you know, Affordable Design and, and Dobbs Ferry. I'm like, wait, Dobbs Ferry? And so, you know, I drop by and you're so cordial and accommodating and had a nice conversation. And, you know, here we are. Well, and, I love people in the building space, of course, but I love a fellow podcast addict. Like, that is very exciting. The whole reason I was on Open for Business is because I loved their show so much that I wrote them and was like, I have to be on your show. I have this great storyline. And then I went to a cocktail party that they hosted, and I saw the executive producer. I was like, I have to be on your show. And, and you rocked it. I mean, oh, you, you, thank you, you. You definitely crushed it, you know, and that was... That was kind. That, that was fun. No, that, that should be... Well, I'm all about being transparent. Like, on that, I was very transparent about a huge issue I was facing in my business. And I really love other business owners who are transparent and tell it like it is and share what we need to know. So I really appreciate you coming on and being so transparent about the world of architecture because it's felt a little elusive for me and certainly for my clients who call, I haven't always had all the answers. Um, we, we have a on our website a pretty good uh, blog that answers you know quite a few common questions, and you know this a little bit from you know seeing behind the curtain of what what we face and what we don't face and what we wish we had and you know, what we don't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little therapeutic, actually. <laughs> oh, good. Well, yet another reason to head over to SeekonArchitect.com to check out his blog. We were actually featured in a post, so you won't want to miss that. And guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. It was a pleasure. Until next week, have a wonderful weekend. Bye. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.